Hello and welcome to Shining a Diamond Light, the new podcast from Diamond Light Source, the UK's national synchrotron. I'm Molly Fry. And I'm Tim Geit. We're going to be speaking to Toby Murcott today, who has worked as a science journalist for the BBC World Service for years and has been a long-standing admirer of the work we do here at Diamond. Toby is going to help us explain some complex terms such as synchrotron and beamline. So, listen on to find out what the inside of Diamond looks like, who works here, and why Diamond is so important. So I guess it would be worth taking a little bit of a step back as to what Diamond is and what a synchrotron does. Mm. If you were going to describe in a nutshell Diamond and how we work, what would you say? Diamond looks at things that are very hard to see, either because they're very small and most often because they're very small, or because they're buried in the heart of something, or they are tiny spots in a larger area. And this is what the synchrotron does. It does it beautifully. Basically, you have a a ring, a circuit, and you send electrons flying around there at ridiculously high speeds, and you make them turn corners. Every time you make an electron going at very high speed turn a corner, it gives out a burst of very, very bright light. And if you have billions upon billions upon billions of electrons all doing this, you get an incredibly intense beam of light. And these intense beams of light can be focused down to, oh, considerably smaller than the width of the human hair. And that allows you to pick out tiny little bits of the sample. The fact that they're small means you can target a tiny bit of the sample. The fact that they're bright means you can see things in great detail and that's what Diamond does. It peers inside difficult places and tells you what's going on inside there. And when we're talking very bright, we're talking, you know, 10 billion times brighter than the sun. When we're talking very fast for the electrons, we're talking pretty much as close as you could possibly get to the speed of light. So it's... I'll be honest with you, there is a bit of me that thinks this can't possibly work. What's being controlled here, This a narrow beam of electrons at incredibly high energies, incredibly high speeds, is a, is, is a genuine marvel of engineering. So I know you've got quite a long history here with us at Diamond. When was the first time that you came to Diamond Light Source? I'm not sure exactly, but I've certainly, um, I think the first event I was involved in was February 2005 when I came to run one of the first training sessions that I do here from time to time. 2005 was a long time ago. What did Diamond look like? when you arrived? The basic structure was there. The large donut was there. And if you went into the donut, there were hutches, um, the the, the laboratories dotted around the edge. Um, This was somewhere that was just starting to come together. There were people who were excited that they thought, we've got this enormous great toy to play with and we can do great things with it. And that's what we're going to do. It It was really genuinely exciting. Now... Diamond is a little bit more polished looking maybe, certainly on the inside. If you were going to describe to someone the view of Diamond that you get as you drive here to somebody who hasn't seen it before, how would you describe it? I always say it's a bit like a spaceship. Now it's clearly not a spaceship because we don't have spaceships that are circular and diamond shaped, but 
It really <laughs> looks, it's got that little bit of alien, a little bit of otherness to it. And as a, as a result, it is exciting. It is, what goes on under there? And when you come inside, you do get that feeling. People are casually dressed, but there's a f- purpose. People are walking around. They are going somewhere. They're doing things. You hear beeps. You hear woo-woo and various other sort of siren noises happening from time to time. You see lights changing from green open to sort of amber to say, ooh, beware, things about to happen. So to give you an idea of what Toby is describing here, Tim and I visited the storage ring to see what we could find. So we're looking down on a straight section of the storage ring where sections of the roof which are normally here have been lifted off by an enormous crane which we have inside Diamond. And from here, we can see the components which make up the storage ring. So we have a cryo chamber, which cools everything down to near absolute zero. We have a number of magnets, which are working all of the time when they're on to continuously bend the flow of electrons through the storage ring. And there are a lot of wires, cables, ladders, sensors and anything you could possibly imagine in a machine shop would be here and it's surprisingly colorful in here so the beam lines themselves the beam line hutches themselves are painted a bright yellow the magnets are red and green the wigglers are purple it's it's quite beautiful and striking looking at it so that's what things are like from the top of the storage ring and that wasn't even a noisy day that's just the general buzz and noise you get when you walk around diamond So now we're going to transition back to Toby, who's going to tell us a little bit more about what the work we do at Diamond used to be like and how much of a difference modern technology and science has made. When I was doing this, people would get time on a synchrotron, an earlier version of Diamond up at Darsbury, and they'd go up there and they'd spend 48 hours and they'd come back with some data that they hoped would be enough to be able to get the structure. They'd hope they'd be able to get enough information. They'd sit down and spend weeks crunching it through computers, doing calculations. A PhD and postdoc used to be six, seven years worth of work. And in that time, if you got the structure of one protein, you'd be doing well. Under the right circumstances, diamond can turn out a structure an hour, if not more. You know, that is an astonishing breakthrough, condensing years worth of work into an hour. And the doors that that opens for science in general is is pretty astounding. Because it used to be, I want to have a look at this protein. Okay, I've got to set up something up so it'll be six, seven, eight, ten years down the line, I'll be able to know. Now, I've got... Oh, I've got a panel of about 40 or 50 proteins I want to have. Okay, let's get some diamond time, beam time, and, you know, in a couple of weeks we might have the structures. And you can compare and contrast. In science, comparing something with something similar but does something a bit different is a very, very powerful way of doing it. If you can bring 40 different proteins down to diamond and come away with the structures after a week or so of work and compare them, that just means the speed of understanding, the speed of breakthrough is, is, is accelerated, frankly, way beyond I ever thought possible. And it's getting faster. This is the difference between somebody wanting to take a photo, having to stand on a ladder and have a cloak on, and you have to hope that the sun's in the right point in the sky, and maybe you'll get it a couple of weeks later, versus now, everybody can just take something on their phone. This is the level of difference that we're talking about. That's a really good analogy. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Yeah, so you've mentioned our previous iteration, which was at Darsbury Lab, but Diamond isn't the only synchrotron in the world, is it? No, there's quite a few. There's, there, I don't know how many there are, but they're dotted all over the place. The idea there's lots around around the world implies that they're all the same thing. They're not really, because each one is tuned in a slightly different way. Each is handcrafted to a particular purpose for a particular reason, and they have different uh, specialities, different abilities. And together, as a body of instruments around the world, they are a fantastic tool. So we've talked a lot about the science so far, but there are also over 700 people who are working here at Diamond, and it's not all scientists, is it? Oh, far from it. Think about the logistics. There's thousands of people here. There is, it runs day and night. People have got to be fed. Rooms have got to be swept. The toilets have got to be kept clean. All the facilities have to be kept up and running, and that's done by a... I wouldn't say a hidden army, but you're not quite aware of them. But there are a lot of people involved just doing the simple mechanics of keeping the place going. And of course, without them, the whole thing would grind to a halt. So it's a team from everybody who organises security in the car parking all the way through to the people who are there tweaking the high energy physics to make another variation of the beam do something magical for somebody. That's right. So as well as our pure science teams, we also have engineering teams, software teams, technical teams, facilities teams, project management. The list goes on. There are loads of people involved with making Diamond work. And we're going to be hearing from some really exciting people from those different teams in the next few episodes. But now back to this one and back to Toby, who's going to be telling us a little bit more about why he loves the Diamond Canteen. There's one thing that always strikes me about Diamond, and it strikes me in comparison to another place that I worked that I I really liked and really enjoyed. I worked at BBC World Service for a number of years, and I would go into the canteen, and you'd hear this hubbub of different voices, different languages. You walk into the canteen at Diamond, and again, you hear that same hubbub of accents and languages and voices, and people genuinely striving to discover things in as curious and as unbiased, untarnished way as it is humanly possible to do. Diamond does cost a lot of money. It costs us a lot of money to build it and it continues to cost a lot of money to run it. Do you think it's worth it? I think we can't afford not to. Human beings have got to where we are by being nosy. We're curious. If we are not nosy we are no longer human if we do not build tools that push the frontiers of knowledge ability engineering technology and we do not investigate we lose a crucial element of humanity now that element of humanity has got us into a real pickle and caused problems but it's also got us wonderful things diamond is maybe different than what a lot of people think about when they think about production or a company or even a university in the research the work that we do sometimes it doesn't lead to something for 10 15 years or even longer but that's really important for us to have as well oh i think it's vital sometimes it should sometimes things should be done and shouldn't have to lead to anything sometimes knowledge is just useful in itself 
And I would be very, very disappointed if the view of Diamond was that it had to produce technological, economic innovation that would simply make money for the country. Because that's a narrow view of discovery, it's a narrow view of exploration, it's a narrow view of humanity. There will be things that have been discovered here that may not be used for 50 or 100 years. And good. We need constant knowledge. We need constant innovation just to keep us ticking over as a species. So I guess for a big final takeaway, what is the one thing that you wish everyone knew about Diamond? There are people in here who work here full time, who are trying to stretch the limits of human knowledge. Diamond is a place where it's a tool that allows us to do that, allows people to do that in a very precise, very controlled, very probing way. But it is no different to somebody sitting on their back doorstep on a nice sunny day and going, hmm... That's curious. I wonder why that bird's flying in that direction. Oh, there's a nest. Oh, okay. Ah. We piece together the world from the information we get in. Diamond gathers information and it's full of really interesting, curious, flawed human beings who are just nosy. So a massive thank you to Toby Murcott for coming and helping us explain Diamond Light Source. And we really hope you learned something from this episode. Over the next few episodes after this, we'll be talking to various people who come into Diamond, either using the facility for experiments or using the facility as part of their job. And next up, we'll be speaking to Andrew McCluskey, who works here at Diamond as a software engineer. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.